The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, good morning. Um, I think it can take a long time in meditation practice to really let it sink in or really somehow deeply accept that um, that maybe the essence of practice is not so much about quieting the mind um, and um, our interest in quieting the mind is is very understandable um, precisely because I think we often suffer so much from our thoughts and um, from unwanted thoughts or thoughts that are not not helpful um, thoughts that are intrusive compulsive or or sort of playing out old stories, old sort of loops. Um, and this can cause a lot of suffering. So it, it's very understandable to want to quiet the mind. Um, and maybe the essence of practice has more to do with... Uh, accepting exactly how the mind is right now. Something being with the contents of the mind um, just as they are and which will generally include thinking. It will include all the different senses. It will include you know our uh, hearing if the eyes are open or seeing um, sensations and, th and thinking and thoughts and um, to be with ourselves in this natural state um, and, and to fully accept this is how it is right now is actually in a way um, giving up the struggle you know, when the mind is not at war with itself and we're not struggling against thoughts and we're not struggling to make experience a certain way, then actually the mind can settle and the mind may quiet, but in a much more natural way and in a way that's more inclusive, that's, that's less brittle. Um, so, so along these lines, um, Here's a poem. <laughs> this is um, this is this is part of a longer piece by the twelfth-century uh, Zen teacher Dogen, um, and and the, the the piece is called "The Point of Meditation." Um, actually, I didn't write it down. I just know it. <laughs> the point of meditation. And he says, um, realization 
is effort without desire. Clear water all the way down, a fish swims like a fish. Vast sky transparent throughout, a bird flies like a bird. Realization is effort without desire. Clear water all the way down, a fish swims like a fish. Vast sky transparent throughout, a bird flies like a bird. So I think it's very interesting that um, He calls this the point of meditation, the purpose of meditation. That there's something about um, this natural activity, this being who and what we are, just the way a fish, you know, I don't know a fish's mind exactly, but a fish probably doesn't have lots of, you know, anxiety about swimming. <laughs> am I doing it right? Is, you know, when am I going to get there? Um, you know, a bird uh, is totally fulfilling its function, totally doing what it was meant to do in flying. You know, it's the most natural thing in the world. And then maybe, so maybe Dogen is saying something about, for us, maybe what meditation actually is, is um, fulfilling our own natural activity, fulfilling our own natural function, um, fully express, expressing who and what we are. So the way I sometimes think about it is a fish swims, a bird flies, and a person um, sits around and thinks. <laughs> you know? um, and not that meditation is just sitting around and thinking, but um, for mindfulness practice, for meditation to include all of us, to include everything, it needs to in also include this realm of thinking and the thinking mind. And rather than seeing thoughts as you know, somehow in opposition to what we're doing, or somehow thoughts as, um, in an extreme case, thoughts as the enemy. Um, you know, can we include them? Can we allow our thinking mind to be uh, welcomed, accepted, and in some way um, so part of the natural landscape that thoughts are not a problem? Mm -hmm. um, one of the images that I that comes up for me that I, I certainly had in my own meditation practice is you know that game whack-a-mole where you know something comes up and you, poof, 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 poof. <laughs> you know <laughs> this can be how we think about our thoughts you know um, try to sort of as soon as it pops up, get it, delete it. 
And so maybe the request of meditation practice is not so much to get rid of thoughts, um, but to come into a new relationship with our thinking. So what is it to um, find that middle way between uh, struggle and aversion and resistance to thinking on one side And then the other extreme is this sort of indulgence in thinking or preoccupation or obsession or, you know, so being so immersed in the content of our thoughts that we lose our awareness. And so, so finding that middle way is, is maybe one of the, one of the, the very useful skills for meditation practice, Um, precisely because when we don't see thoughts, when we're not aware of thinking as thinking, um, those thoughts control us. You know, Th- those are the times that we either lose ourselves and we're totally, um, the word that comes up for me, the phrase is situational awareness. I don't know if you've, you know, there was, this, there was a story in the news about Um, it might have been a year ago or two years ago of these pilots and they were you know they were flying it was somewhere from the west coast and they were going to the midwest somewhere and they I think they were I think there was a merger of Delta and United or something like that and then US Air and United So they were, they were pilots as part of the smaller airline that were now working for the bigger airline. And they started talking about their work schedule and their pay. And they got into a big discussion. And one of the pilots said, well, well you got to take a look at this. And he got his laptop out. And they're looking there. And the thing, so meanwhile, the plane is on autopilot. And <laughs> they're, you know, I think they were supposed to go to Chicago or something like that. You know, they fly over Chicago, keep going, not even close to slowing down or then the, the flight attendants are start knocking on the door. They're like, guys, guys. And they flew an hour beyond <laughs> their destination because they were so immersed and so lost in the, in the content and, you know, debating this and, and looking at charts and looking at that they, they completely lost their um, situational awareness. I, you know, and it, in this case, it was totally fine because it, you know, it ended up, the story ended up fine and they, you know, turned the plane around and landed it. And, um, but I think we can all identify with that, that, um, thoughts can be so uh, powerful and so seductive that we enter into their world and it creates a world for us and we lose ourselves. We lose our, our sense of presence. We lose our awareness. And um, at times that's fine. You know, I mean, that's, that it's, it's this wonderful function of the human mind um, 
to be able to be so absorbed into a world of our own creation, our own imagination. You know, maybe this is what creativity is about. Maybe this is what, you know, we just think about everything that's all the wonderful created aspects of civilization, every building, every work of art, every, everything, you know, started with a thought, came from a thought. And, you know, and so this, this very human ability to enter into uh, an imagined world is, um, is a wonderful, is a wonderful thing, can be a wonderful thing. Um, however, um, it can also be problematic, especially um, if those thoughts are not, you know, about writing the next Shakespeare sonnet or the next, you know, great novel, but are sort of some repetitive loop or some um, critical or otherwise self-destructive uh, or self-harmful storyline that, um, that we believe. That, you know, when we don't see thoughts as thoughts, um, we tend to believe them, you know, whether or not they're true. So the same Zen teacher who, who wrote that poem, his instructions in meditation were around thinking. He said, think not, no, he said, Thin, think not thinking. Think not thinking. Anticipating that no one would have any idea what that means, he then said, what does that mean? Non-thinking. So think not thinking, non-thinking. And the way I understand this is that rather than saying don't think, which is sort of a useless, as useless as saying don't think about a <laughs> pink elephant or <laughs> sorry. The, you know, the problem with trying not to think is not that it doesn't work, but that it almost works. <laughs> you know, so we can get very good at, you know, if you have a lot of energy and a lot of interest, you can get very good at, at sort of blocking out thoughts for a certain amount of time. Um, but first of all, thinking always comes back. So those states are temporary. And second of all, when we're blocking out thoughts, we're not really learning from them. We're not really learning about them. We're not learning how to be with them. So this idea of non-thinking, for me, points to what maybe in the sort of insight tradition or vipassana tradition, we, we talk about as shifting from the content of the thoughts to the process. You know, so this is a shift that is very easy, very accessible, we can notice in meditation, and probably most helpfully when we're not in meditation, is to, to um, sort of shift out of being completely in the world of thinking to just noticing that thinking is happening. Oh, 
thinking is happening. This is thinking. This is what it feels like. Um, does that make sense? That, that shift is, is one of the most important um, insights for practice, that it's possible to be aware that I'm thinking. Um, one of the things we can notice is the contents of the thoughts. You know, what am I thinking about? Um, this is really useful data. You know, often I'll... I'll think, oh, I'm fine. I think everything's, you know, I feel fine. And then I'll sit down to meditate and all of these difficult thoughts come up, you know, that I notice. And it could be fears, could be planning, could be regrets, could be agitation or something. And um, it's not that the meditation created those thoughts, but that in sitting down and being quiet, I'm actually noticing what was, what was happening in the background. And that's very helpful. That's very useful uh, info about ourselves. So it's almost like we can take an inventory and notice, you know, okay, this is what's on my mind right now. This is what the heart is preoccupied with. This is what I'm concerned about. Um, so we may notice thoughts in this way and it tells us more about ourselves. We may notice the tone of voice that we think in. And this can be very interesting. It's like, you know, um, sometimes if we have a tendency to be judgmental towards ourselves or self, self-critical, um, we may think about mistakes or shortcomings or something in a, in a, in a very harsh tone of voice, a harsh, you know, uh, in, in a way that we wouldn't really talk to other people like that. Or we certainly think twice about talking to other people like that. But we talk to ourselves like that. You know, so just noticing what's the tone of voice? What's the, what's the volume? Um, what's, the, what's the bodily response to our thinking? You know, to begin to see this connection between the mind and the body is very, very helpful. Um, whatever thoughts, images, uh, perceptions we have, it's almost like the body takes them as instructions. You know, the body responds to what we think about and how we think. So, um, just to notice that and, to, and, to, and then to notice this connection. And when I think about uh, frightening things, the body reacts. When I think about something that's delightful and joyful and, or something that I really want, the body reacts. You know, the classic example of this is, maybe I should have done this in the guided meditation, is to guide you in imagining you're in your kitchen at home. And, you know, most of us have a kitchen at home. Most of us uh, probably have a sharp knife. And so you kind of imagine you take this lemon, you feel the lemon, and you feel the weight of the lemon, and 
you smell it, and you smell the lemon, and then you put it on the cutting board, and you imagine, you know, just slicing into the lemon, what that feels like. And then you put the knife down, and then you, you take the lemon, the lemon wedge up to the mouth, and you taste it. And if you're anything like me, you're, <laughs> you know, the, the body starts to taste it. The body starts to actually believe that this is happening. Um, and this is a process that happens over and over and over and over and over again. With our thoughts, we create a reality that our body lives in. And um, so it's very, very helpful to realize this and then to realize that we can actually um, imagine whatever we want. Our imagination, our thinking mind, uh, doesn't have to be on autopilot, that we can actually plant seeds that are helpful. We can, we can, we can actually, um, you know, create the world and create a reality that will be skillful and helpful and beneficial for us. Um, when, we, when we include thinking and thoughts in mindfulness, we begin to notice in a more general sense our relationship to um, our thinking. What are the patterns that, um, that, that tend to arise? You know? and, and the more important question, are they true? Are they helpful? Um, the other uh, <laughs> thing I, I, I was thinking about is, I don't know if some of you remember the TV show Seinfeld. There was, there was one, one character, George, and George, um, he was the character on the show and things often went wrong for him or, you know, never went the way he wanted and um, always had all these problems. And until one day he realized that if he just did the opposite <laughs> of everything he thought to do, of everything that were his natural instincts. So when he would, um, I don't remember all the details, but, you know, it was kind of like, you know, his natural instinct was to frown. So he thought, what if I just do the opposite and I smile at people? His natural instinct was to be negative. He said, what if I just do the opposite? What if I'm just positive? You know, so he, so he sort of did this. And of course, you know, he, all these amazing things happen to him and these beautiful women are, you know, want to be with him and all this stuff. Um, and, and I say that as a joke, but, um, you know, we, we can start to, to see that um, we're, we're, we don't have to be limited by our thinking and our thinking mind. And um, even though we all have conditioning, and out of that conditioning, certain kinds of thoughts, certain ways of thinking emerge, um, through mindfulness, 
we have the potential to um, change our relationship to all of this. One of the things that we can become sensitive to is when thoughts are very sticky. You know, and I use that, that term because, um, because actually to be aware of a thought is not that different from being aware of a sound, for example. But um, maybe the biggest difference is we identify with our thinking. You know, who am I? What am I if not my thoughts, not my thinking mind? So this is a big source of identity, a big source of identification. And, um, you know, I think, therefore I am. This is our Western sort of inheritance. So to sort of loosen this, this, um, you know, what mindfulness practice can do is give us a little bit of space between the thinking mind and ourselves and to sort of begin to loosen this, this sort of very tight um, identification that um, thoughts arise and pass just the way sounds do, just the way sensations do. And um, it's our own uh, habit that, that sort of that creates a self from them. So, so in, a, in a way, mindfulness of thinking can be one of the doorways to this truth of, of not-self, truth that we don't have to own any of this. Um, you know, maybe it's easy to, to um, see that the thought about what's for dinner is not me. You know, but the thought about um, that terrible thing I did or, um, you know, my, my anger, my uh, guilt, my, you know, whatever, that's really me, or that's really mine. You know, just to notice, notice where we begin to take ownership of, of thoughts. Um, I often say that thoughts are one of the most insubstantial, maybe one of the most insubstantial things in the universe. You know, a thought has no weight, it has no substance, it has no volume. But um, when we don't see them, when we're not aware of them, they, they become these little dictators, you know, that, um, that, that, that control us. So, so a big part of the freedom of Dharma practice, of the freedom of this, is, is freeing ourselves in relationship to our thoughts and our thinking mind. That we can be aware of them, that we can uh, accept them, befriend them, but not necessarily you know, give them any more, um, any more credence, any more um, reality than anything else that we can be aware of. And it's, and it's something that is, is, is part of who we are. Um, and 
and then we can we can be in a healthy relationship with thinking that we use our thinking mind which is this amazing gift this amazing skill um, one of the ways that I like to work with thinking is to uh, take a walk I, I'm for me there's something about thinking that is connected to the body and to movement that so stuff really starts to flow for me when I walk and um, so just to take a walk you know take a walk and and say for this period of time I'm going to reflect on this and you know if it's some big transition that's happening in my life or some big decision um, just to just to go and think about it but in a, in a sort of you know it's it's like a deliberate thinking it's 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 elevating the process of thinking to something that's worthy of being um, of attending to and, and, and so you know to go for a walk and reflect on something and it's a really nice really really nice thing to do um, and then sometimes it's said for, for meditation practice for the purpose of meditation um, there's nothing whatsoever that's worth thinking about so we have all these, there's all these wonderful things to think about. And, but then when we sit, we sit down and we meditate, we sort of say, you know, let it all go. It's all, you know, um, as important as it is to figure X, Y, and Z out. Um, I don't need to figure it out right now. And, you know, just to have that intention. And then thoughts may come, thoughts, thoughts will come up, which is fine. Um, so I, ho I hope that gives you a little bit of a sense of, you know, of a way to think about thinking, include thinking in practice. Thinking is not a mistake, it's not a problem. It's actually something, this amazing process and it can be very valuable to um, include our thinking mind. Um, I wonder if uh, you have some thoughts about thinking, or some uh, comments, questions. What what is your relationship to to to? Uh, to thinking either in meditation or not in meditation. Um. I'm not sure I can articulate this, so I'll give it a try. Um, it's really about um, consciousness and awareness of thinking so and the same applies to any object so this is you're talking about thinking as an object right as of awareness and but this particularly sticky with thinking how to put it 
there's a way I c- of being aware <laughs> of the process of noticing thoughts, right? And the thoughts can bubble by or they jump up and grab and then they can float. But the, but the main object of awareness is with awareness. It's just the mindfulness, so it's this bubbling feeling. And, but then there's kind of when you talk, there's another, just like with, it's in some ways easier to describe it with the body, like feeling the pain and really being not identified with it, but that's where the consciousness is, is with the pain or with the body or with the thoughts. Even though there's, a, there's awareness, like you're thinking about thinking, but it's different than being in awareness and watching the thinking go by. So I don't know which exactly you're talking about, or both, and which is more useful. Like if I spent a week meditating, it would be an interesting experiment, spent a week meditating this week, focusing on the process of thinking, right? But not paying so much attention to the quality of my awareness while I was doing that, just focusing on the process of thinking. I could experiment with that. But what... Which is more useful? I mean, do you know what I'm talking about? And we, I'm sure you do. And which is more useful? That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you the way I think about it and then see if which one, how, where does this... Um, I mean, one of, one, of the, one of the ways that um, you can practice this is just... In just in sitting and opening to experience and then noticing whenever a thought arises, right? You know, and so um, that it's actually at, when, when a thought arises, that becomes the object of, of, of awareness. We're aware of a thought. We're aware of thinking happening. And I guess the way I think about it is it's sort of like, you know, the old turtle sinking to the bottom of the pond and looking up and seeing all, you know, what's happening on the surface level. And there's this sort of relaxing back into the space behind thinking or the space underneath thinking or something. And then thoughts will come and thoughts will go. And um, sometimes as soon as we're aware of a thought, the thought disappears, you know, which is fine, which is totally fine. And uh, often that can be the case if, we're, if we have the intention to be with the breath or something, and then a thought comes up. But as soon as we sort of notice it, it just, it, it, it goes. Um, and then sometimes there can be trains of thought that come that have more energy, that have more stickiness to them, you know, it could be because it has more of an emotional pull, because it, we're more identified with it in some way. Um, and it doesn't just disappear when we notice it. And because the, for meditation, the principle is not to be in conflict with what's happening. If I'm, if I'm no, I must be with the breath. And then oh, these thoughts are coming in and they keep, uh, you know, that's conflict. That's being conflict. So what we say, if the thoughts are, have a more of a pull than the breath, to let go of the breath, 
and then turn towards the, the process of thinking and just allow the thinking to happen, to notice it. Um, we might label it thinking, we might notice it in the body. Um, so I don't know if that addresses your question. Is, is that, you talked about, well, you know, I'll let you, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, th- I think so, yeah. Because that whole time, regardless, it's being in, a, in awareness. In well, ex- exactly. That whole time. That's, but if the, if, the, if, the, if the object is on, a, if the awareness is, consciousness is the object of awareness, kind yeah. of in a way is what I'm saying. If the thought then is what's grabbing, or then, then it's just lean into that and bring yeah. awareness to that. Yeah. But don't, we don't leave awareness to do that. Well, right. So that's the practice in a way, and that, that makes sense. And in that, it's like in, op- like in um, oh, I forget the term, in ambious or choiceless awareness. That's kind yeah. of what we're doing. Whatever thing is dominating, we just bring the attention to that. Yeah. And awareness of how we pay attention to that and then how it, whatever's going on in the process. So, okay. Yeah. I can kind yeah. of feel yeah. into in that. A, in a way, awareness, I think of awareness as like the whole pond. Yeah. Right? You know, so everything's happening in, in the pond, in, in awareness. And then at times we'll be focused on, on the seaweed, on the fish, on the things. At other times we'll be just taking it all in. You know, we have this wide view of like just resting back and letting things. And, you know, it's all. And I just think with thoughts it's harder for me to find the middle place. And it's either in the disappearing place. Yeah. La, 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 or possessed. And so yeah. it's really hard, or maybe that's everybody's experience, but it's a lot harder to kind of watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thoughts are so much more slippery than things like, you know, a sound or... Uh, I mean, that, that's the reason that the, the instructions begin with mindfulness of the body, you know, the sensations of the body, the breath... Because that's a that's a sort of a a handle on the present moment or connection to the present moment in in a very simple way, um, but eventually we start to you know that that thoughts can also be simple you know and when they're not simple what is that like you know to be with them? And thank you. Yeah. So. Same, same topic. Um, I can notice that I have been thinking. That's the kind of waking up. So I'm sure we all do that in meditation. Uh, there's another technique for noticing when a thought arises, you know, like watching my mind like a cat watches a mouse hole, right? I can do that. The thought doesn't, thoughts take a while to arise, okay? But I, what I hear the guidance is notice when a thought arises, which, you know, is a little sort of nonchalantly different than staring at your mind waiting for that first thought to arise. So is there some way or techniques or relaxation in which 
you can notice that a thought arises without being so, you know, using this one technique that is very focused on, you know, okay, <laughs> what's the next thought? And nothing happens and it's kind of fun, but right. it's not very relaxed. Right, right. Um, yeah, no, great question. Um, the way I think about it is that as mindfulness itself becomes more sharp, more continuous, more sort of... Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, o often the way, even if we don't, if we're not aware of this, often, even when we think we're present, we're here for a moment and then we're off, and then we're here and then we're off, and then we're here and then we're off. Off meaning, you know, lost in thought, lost in, you know, um, uh, you know, not aware of what's happening, you know, not knowing what's happening, and. Um, the more continuous mindfulness becomes, and it, it, it could become continuous with the breath, it could become continuous with sensations, or just in general, the more continuous mindfulness becomes, the earlier, the sooner we can notice the arising of a thought. That because, you know, I think about thoughts in a way as sort of these secretions that are just, you know, they're just happening. They're just always happening. But we tend not to notice most of them. So they're in the background. And, but the more mindfulness is continuous, the more we're actually present f and noticing, not only do, can we notice the very beginning of a thought, but I, I you know, in, at times in meditation when the mind is very settled, it's possible to notice, like, this sounds a little bit abstract and, or subtle or something, but like, the intention to think, you know, like, this sort of, like, before a thought bubble becomes a thought bubble, there's a little pressure. <laughs> so you don't know how to describe it. There's a little pressure that that becomes a, a thought bubble, that becomes something. And it's possible to even notice that. Um, but what it comes out of is that the training of continuous mindfulness or the mindfulness that's so in time with what's happening, it so knows what's happening. And um, so I think that kind of mindfulness is probably most easily developed through more simple objects like the breath or like the body. Um, but you know, so so it's sort of like a refinement of, um, and then in sort of ordinary consciousness, we we may we may catch a thought at the you know, um, at, I mean I think for me often it's noticing the thought once it's happened, but before the next thought has happened. You know, so so that's also a, you know, um, but I think it's really a function of how how refined the mindfulness is. Um, if that if that answers your question, so it, so it just so it really, um, and especially on retreat, we can notice that um, the more we the more we meditate, that we're not actively feeding thoughts. 
um, or struggling against them so much, the thinking mind starts to settle down. And um, I mean, do, do, do you feel like you notice that? At, you know, at the end of the, cause we were on retreat together, at the end of the retreat, um, or you might not have noticed that at the end of the retreat, but you might have noticed the next day <laughs> the difference. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you notice like when, when the thinking mind starts to come back online in a, in a way, it's like, oh, wow. Okay, that was quieter because now I notice, you know, what the mind is like now. So it's like, it's, I think it's really about like not feeding, not, not, not energizing the thinking mind is what kind of starts to allow it to settle and then we can see it more easily as it slows down. Just sort of going go on with um, what what you just said. Um, like I did find myself like after the retreat, like my my head is very busy thinking, and there are some thoughts like I am able to just let it pass. I'm like hey, like again, like I know you, like. But there are some thinking which are not that complicated but like about daily life planning like I was thinking like in the guided meditation I was thinking oh what I want to cook for lunch and I was planning and I was like oh um and I thought about a recipe in my head and I'm I would like I want to cling to that like the thinking the thought because I was like oh that's a good idea I hope I don't forget it like something like that or I would like thinking about like, oh, on the way to the market, then I want to pick up something, and I hope I don't forget that either. So how, how um, yeah. Yeah, how yeah, no, it's, it's, that's a great question, and it's, I often think that's one of the paradoxes of, especially meditation practice, that we're, it's not our intention to think, you know, we're not sitting down to, um, you know, we're to, we're to be aware, and, you know, but um, often in not trying to think about something, especially in not thinking about something that, you know, is on our mind in general or is some problem to be solved, then sometimes some original solution or some answer will bubble up or some, you know, good idea or something that we don't want to forget. And um, so... I think one of the reasons maybe, and there's, there's all kinds of science that talks about this, is that when something is on our mind, it's often working in the background. You know, so we're, you know, the, the, they say like, think, of, you know, if, if you're trying to solve a problem, like you may bring it up in, in the mind right before you go to sleep. And then the mind sort of works on it while you sleep. I think maybe that's happening also in meditation. In the, you know, the mind is working on things and then something will come up, some original idea or some good idea or something we don't want to forget. Um, So a couple of things. One is that, you know, I I mean, I hesitate to say this, but you, I mean, you could keep um, paper and a pen next to your cushion, not to be opening your eyes every five minutes and writing down, unless it really is, you know, the cure for cancer or something. Um, But like, you know, at the end of the sitting, 
you know, take a few notes and maybe, maybe some notes about the sitting, but also anything that came up that you don't want to forget. And then so you know in the sitting, okay, I'm going to be able to capture this when I, when I, when I finish my sitting. The other thing is I, I've learned to have a lot of trust that whatever good idea or whatever insight or whatever realization that comes up in the practice, um, I don't have to sort of cling to it. I don't have to hold on to it or quickly, you know, write it down or quickly, you know, that it's, it's there, that it's there and, um, you know, and to sort of trust that in a way and um, that whatever I, whatever I need to remember, I'll remember and whatever I, whatever I don't, I, you know, I won't. Um, that's, that's sort of how, how I think about it. But I, I've told the story before, this like there, there were times when I was sitting on meditation retreat and I kept a, I had a notebook and in the back page of the notebook was just a list of people. And um, the, the meaning of the list was these were all the people who I thought after the retreat, I'm going to apologize to. <laughs> You know, and so something would come up or, you know, some depth of feeling of like, oh, I can't believe I did that or said that or, and so in order to just sort of let it go, I would just sort of write, write it down and just, and and keep that. And um, so I think, I think there's something about really honoring what comes up in meditation and the thoughts, and it could be something, you know, simple and mundane, um, you know, what to cook or something that we need to remember. But also we could have very, you know, I, we, have, we could have great ideas that come up in, in, in practice. So, um, but yeah, so I, so I sort of trust that, that, um, that, we'll, that we won't lose them. That's, that's a great question. Um, I guess 
my 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 only hesitation around that is that um, meditation. I think about meditation as the one place where we can experience an unedited version of ourselves, so an uncensored version. And there's something that feels important to me about that. About you know, not um, because. That, that gets into this, this sort of project of, you know, fixing, quieting the mind, fixing it, thinking good, nice thoughts or something, which is, you know, that's a nice thing to do. But um, it, might, it might be more helpful for us to, to fully, to, to not censor, to have this attitude of just letting whatever arises, you know, in this completely uncensored, unedited way. Um, because that's part of who we are too. And it's not us. And, you know, it is, so, but it's like, it's like that, that is what's happening in our experience. And to, to be able to have really strange thoughts and not act on them, not believe them, not think they say something about me, not, you know, just like, oh, huh, that's, you know, it's, it's sort of like our dream life, you know, and, and, and there's, there are these practices of lucid dreaming and of like getting in there and, you know, and I've, I always, I mean, they're, they're, I'm, sh- I'm sure they, they can be valuable practices. I know even they're Buddhist practices that have to do with lucid dreaming. But I've, personally, I've, I've shied away from that because my sense of, of dreams is that they provide a very valuable function as this sort of like, you know, letting it all out and processing it and this unedited thing. And if we start to get in there and edit our dreams according to what the conscious mind wants. You know, that's the unconscious and that's the sort of wild, um, you know, so, so to kind of get in there and to say what I think is good or what I think is helpful. I don't know, that feels to me a little, so, the, so I think, I love what you said about this, you know, is it true, is it useful, is it kind? And maybe that's a good guideline for what translates, how do we, you know, that bridge between our inner world and the world, you know, that we create, the world that we share, the world that we communicate. Um, So, you know, maybe I have lots of different kinds of thoughts, but the ones that I actually share, the ones that I act on, the ones that I promote, you know, I would use those guidelines. Um, And... And all of that said, I think there may also be a value to consciously thinking things in ther- certain ways. Like I, I th- not to get into a whole long story, but just very briefly, um, I think our thoughts have a lot of power. You know, have, have a certain power, not just, I mean, certainly their impact on our, ourselves, our inner landscape, our experience of our lives. But, you know, there's a way that our thoughts affect others. Maybe it's as, as simple as, you know, if I, if I think about you in a positive way, then 
you'll have some sense of that. You'll have, so even if I'm not saying anything, I'm not consciously doing anything, if I think about you in a really negative way, you're going to pick up on that and you'll have some sense of that. But I remember I was, um, one of my daughters had this potential to have this illness. She doesn't have it, but she has a sort of predisposition. Or, and I realized that there was, because I learned this through blood test or you know, genetic thing, it was actually, I was regarding her as being sick in some way. I didn't necessarily do anything different, but it was just in my mind there, was this, there were these thoughts. And then I thought, what, how different would it be? Or what would it, in fact, if I, if I thought about her as being so completely healthy and so, you know, as without any, any, any possibility of any, you know, just, just, just no problem whatsoever. And then so I just, I just tried that out. And then I realized that, oh, it does make a difference. You know, I, I don't know what she can perceive or what it actually does, but I realized that for me, it made a difference. So, so anyway, that's sort of a long way of saying, um, in general, I think it's, it's best to be with our thoughts in an unedited way and, and really um, not put a lot of shoulds on our thinking because we learn, we learn what's, what's, what's going on for us. And just in the same way that dreams provide this valuable sort of balancing function or this, you know, um, when we're really out of balance in one way, our dreams, it's said, maybe, our dreams provide some balance. So if I'm really concerned about how people see me and want to present a certain image of myself, a certain thing, then in my dream, you know, I'm, I'm naked, right? You know, in front of the class and I forget to get dressed and, you know, because I'm so guarded and I'm so... Um, maybe defended in some way in my conscious life, in my dream, I'm so exposed. And, you know, so, you know give that sort of balance or something. So, so there's some value to being with thoughts. And like you said, you know, um, um, to bring some, some conscious consciousness to our things and, and deliberate thought, and it can also be helpful. Um, but anyway, welcome. So, okay, thank you, everyone. And I wish you good thoughts, and even if they're not good thoughts, um, that's okay. New way of embracing the Yep, exactly.